Coming up next, the bookening tears into whatever meat is left on the bone of Dostoevsky after Jake's evisceration last week. Hey everybody, welcome to the bookening. I meant Jake's evisceration of Dostoevsky. I didn't mean that Jake got eviscerated. Obviously, that would be very sad and put a damper on this podcast if Jake thought have It'd be more very challenging for me to continue mm-hmm. to go on. Yep. I would have another set Only of my heart would go on You're, it, it, because well, I wouldn't have any intestines. Jack, this is on. where we first met. That's an old bookening reference, folks. Yeah, I was about a half a year old. I would have another set of intestines to wear around my neck. That's true. And we could say that Jake, he's gutless. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> but not spineless. And right. then like have so a moment only... where we just are an abject horror as we look at his gutted body. <laughs> would we be an abject horror? What's the difference between regular horror and abject horror? I don't know. I think it's one of those. It's just like a cliche, Nathan. Yeah. But Roger Ebert would have been fine with me saying it because I wasn't writing it. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's not a cliche. Roger Ebert would have been fine with me saying it. <laughs> I mean, nobody said that because before. I wasn't writing, writing it, jerk. <laughs> there's, a, there's a potential um, something. There's a potential something. Hey, folks, my name is Dana. That's, uh, I, I am the, you know who I am? Guess guess who I am, guys. Oh, 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 it's me. Are you Santa Claus? No, no, Brandon. I'm, a, no. I'm from one of the books we read. Ho, 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 ho. Father Christmas. No, no. Jake, any guesses? Ho, 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 ho. I'm from a book that we read. Uh, um, I can't <laughs> say my name, but I'm not sure what other details I can give. Ho, 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 ho. Tom Bombadil. <laughs> no, idiot. Ebenezer Scrooge. No. The Ghost of Christmas Presents. No. Father Karamazov. No, <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a royal personage. Oh 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 oh. A royal personage. Yes, I come from royalty. Oh 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 oh. oh. Um, Princess Leia. <laughs> Leia. No. <laughs> yeah, Princess Leia. No, uh, King Lear. I'm from the the first year of the bookening. Oh 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 oh. I appeared in Mac- one of the books. Oh, 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 oh. Macbeth? Lady Macbeth. No! That's very amusing, though. <laughs> Something that I'm very in touch with. <laughs> the King and the Duke from Huck Finn. You got my first name. <laughs> King, King Lear. King Friday from, I already said Lear, you dork. Oh, well, I wasn't listening. <laughs> I am, a, my first, the first part of my title is, or the my whole title is King. <laughs> King Friday from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Just context clues. <laughs> King Santa. King. Oh, oh, what did we from our first year? <laughs> the mysterious phantom. Maybe King, I was throwing you off with ho hos. King Darcy. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Oh my goodness. King. Uh, I'm. I don't really appear personified, but someone mentions me. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh. 
King, King Laugh. Laugh. It's oh, me, yes. King Laugh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Old King Laugh. I come when you least expect me. Yeah, we never yeah. After you it. just decapitated your friend who got turned into a vampire. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure we ever expect you <laughs> or want you. <laughs> We were certainly weirded out when <laughs> Dr. Van Helsing started talking about you. Yeah. You know, true oh, story, oh, oh. I got a, a note that came up in like my note app today where I write myself notes and it said, Wait. <laughs> talk about King Laugh on the podcast. You use what? your really? note app to write yourself notes? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true, Brandon. Apparently, at some point, I set a reminder that said, talk about King Laugh on the podcast. I don't know why. Probably just some throwaway joke in some episode or something like that. But today, at today's recording session, apparently I was supposed to talk about King Laugh. And so... And so you did. Now I've done it. Actually, the specific note was, King Laugh should make an appearance on the podcast. Now, huh. now you've gone and done it. Now I've gone and done it. Anyway, Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. Yeah, my favorite author. Jake's favorite author. Mm-hmm. And Jake loves him. Well, we wanted to talk some more about that. So I think Jake made a pretty good argument against Dostoevsky. Brandon, do you want to push back a little bit no. or? <laughs> not really. <laughs> Did you enjoy the reading of this novel? Yeah, I'll push back a little bit. Why not? Hang on. That worked out so well for you at the Ready Player Two or uh, One episode. <laughs> Every... <laughs> Every time you try to say Ready Player Two, you've said Ready Player One. <laughs> and suddenly... said Ready Player Two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know what my problem is. <laughs> Probably you just successfully disciplined yourself. Yeah. No, don't say Ready Player One. Say Ready Player and Two. And then, yeah. Yep. I'm going to make you admit that Tolstoy is terrible and nobody should ever read him if That's... you try to defend Dostoevsky, Brandon. Really? <laughs> right. <now>. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon's like, oh no. <laughs> In that case, forget it. <laughs> I, I will say this much. This was definitely the most enjoyable Dostoevsky novel I've read, which I realize is like saying I'd rather hit myself in the pinky with a hammer than hit myself in the head with a hammer. But this novel read along speedily enough, had a lot of melodramatic contrivances that were entertaining enough in their own. It had a little murder plot and a trial and stuff. Yeah. Dostoevsky had a little bit of a sense of humor in the way that he sort of, as a narrator, assumed the persona of this provincial hack type person who's telling the story and talking about the town and saying in our town this and in our town that and everybody knows this guy. That was nice. It was nice to see Dostoevsky lighten up just a hair. So there are things about this novel that worked for me better than the slog that is crime and punishment or the despair that is Notes from Underground. Those are the two other ones that I've read. I guess we never talked about baggage, but... Do we need to? No, I don't think so. Unless anybody has any other baggage they want to throw out. No, I don't. So there you go. My That's my defense of this novel. It wasn't like hitting yourself in the eye with a hammer. It was more like hitting yourself in the pinky with a hammer. And my basic argument has been, why would you want to hit yourself with hammer at the end of the day i wouldn't i mean i guess i don't know it's always tricky with these kinds of books because while i very much agree with everything that jake said in the last episode completely and utterly a lot of people like this book i mean if you support chesterton's democracy of the dead if you 
think that the mass of humanity might have something to say on the subject. The mass of humanity likes Brothers Karamazov, I guess. Sort of, kind of, maybe a little bit. Maybe they don't actually, but a lot of people who are smarter and wiser and whatever than me have found this book helpful. So, yeah, you got to ask why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do need I mean, to I think why. we did ask why, though. Yeah. And I, I think part of the answer is that let's get back to what's appealing about this. Let me make the case for what's appealing about this book. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's appealing about this book is, and especially in context, and you, you have this world of people um, that this helicopter is going to drive me out of my mind. I think they might be giving rides. I think you're probably right. So we might be dealing with this. We should just tell the folks, folks, it's never happened before. It'll never happen since, but there's a helicopter outside of our studio. That appears to be giving rides. <laughs> it appears to be giving rides to people. We're right across from a big park that has open soccer fields and is adjacent to a 4-H center and not far from an airport. And one way or another, this helicopter keeps ascending and descending very close by. And it's So if you hear a little bit of that, we're sorry. Yeah, it's overpowering our mostly soundproofed studio. Yep. yep. And that's how close it is and intense it is. And if some Dostoevsky fan shoots Jake with a sniper rifle from the helicopter, what a way to go. What a way to go. I'll take it. Yeah. An argument for why this novel is... Well, why it's appealing. Feeling. Uh, Dostoevsky is trying really hard to be real mm-hmm. and to face the fact that evil exists in the world and evil exists in our own hearts, and it's something that we can't overcome on our own. And it's something that we've got to grapple with. For a world of people that have grown up in a conspiracy to deny all suffering, Mm -hmm. and all pain, and all sin, and death, but have had to face it one way or another, either because of their external circumstances, or because of trying to be honest with who they really are in their own hearts. This kind of thing where somebody's like, actually, the world isn't all sunshine and roses. Actually, people kind of suck. Actually, there's death and misery and suffering out there and children are harmed for no reason. That makes any sense. Like, this is just the world that God has us living in for some reason or one reason or another. It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. That can be refreshing it can be a breath of fresh air whether your experience is i grew up in mother russia and i know pain and suffering and yeah he understands the struggle of what it means to actually be a russian or i grew up in the disneyland that was 90s and 2000s and 80s america and i grew up on disney princess movies also there's this dark part of my heart or these things that happened to me as a child or just the pain and suffering that I've come across or seen in myself or in other people or the depravity that I've encountered suddenly out of nowhere, out of everybody telling me everything is sunshine and roses and it's all a happy fairy tale. You know, this isn't Shrek poking fun at it. This is somebody trying to actually get down and wrestle with it on an existential level and isn't afraid to look into the abyss. He hasn't found any answers but he knows the answer has to be more than just forget it. Let me go blow my brains out. And so I really appreciate that. I really appreciated it at a particular time in my life. I really appreciated it when it helped me process the fact that I was abused 
or it helped me process the fact that I came from a broken home, or it helped me process the fact that I have sins, besetting sins that I can't seem to kick, don't seem to have any self-control, and I feel bad about it. People tell me not to feel bad about it, but I still feel bad about it, and so what do I do with that? Like, here's one person in the whole world who is saying, yes, the sin in you is real. Yes, the sin in the world is real. Yes, the suffering is real. Yes, you do feel bad about it. And yes, you should feel bad about it. And yes, feeling bad about it's inescapable. And that's just part of it. Like part of being honest, part of being a real person, part of growing and maturing is actually having the guts to look your own sin and depravity in the face, to look the sin and depravity of your neighbors in the face, to look the suffering of this world, the needless suffering of the innocent in the face, and find a way to love your neighbor just the same and be humble and have have sympathy, sweetness. No answers here because we're all clawing our way out of this abyss together, but just a a sense that there's got to be something more than either staring at the abyss or pretending like it doesn't exist. So answer number one, yes, there is. Read your Bible. Answer number two, I mean, answer number two, every decadent culture has a cottage industry of art and entertainment that tells us how stupid we are for being decadent. You don't have to go very far to find this kind of thing. You know, all you have to do is turn on HBO and you'll have a show that tells you how squalid and depraved man is. And frankly, a lot of those shows are more entertaining than the Brothers Karamazov. That's, That's one of the things, just the the entertainer or the person who desires to be entertained within me, Mrs. in Dostoevsky, is usually with these kinds of evocations of pure nihilism and evil, there's a certain grandiose theatricality that can be fun. Everybody loves Milton's Satan. Everybody loves Hannibal Lecter. Everybody loves Heath Ledger's Joker. You ain't getting anything like that here. What it's telling us is that actually good is stupid, Lone Star. You know, evil will always triumph Lone Star because because good is dumb, to quote the great, uh, whatever that Mel Brooks Star Wars thing is. Spaceballs? Yeah, Spaceballs. To quote the great Spaceballs, evil will always triumph because good is dumb. But you're also not getting any kind of joy de vivre out of the evil. Maybe you get a little bit in the Grand Inquisitor story. But other than that, it's just like, yeah, everybody's kind of squalid and depressed and lame. It's just so can you argue that? Can you Can you argue... That that's part of the virtue of it. Let me let me keep playing the Sure. That's part of the virtue of it. What we do when we glitz these things up is we make them cool and we make them okay. And Dostoevsky refuses to make evil cool, to make being bad cool. He's not gonna glorify Walter White. He's not gonna glorify He's not going to glorify Hannibal Lecter. He's not going to glorify Dexter or some serial killer or whatever. Like, it's not actually pretty. It's not actually fun. It actually is squalid and gross. And that's the reality that anybody who's bought into the lie that it can be fun to be bad ultimately has to grapple with. Like, But the lie exists for a reason. The lie is part of it, actually. And if you can't actually, if you can't evoke the attractiveness of either good or evil, if you can't do one of those two, then there's something just fundamentally broken about your worldview. I hate that word, worldview. But Don't you feel I'm... like that's basically true, though? That that is the world that you live in? That you, as much as you'd like to be attracted to what's good, you're not. And as attracted as you are to what's bad, it's not satisfying and leaves you feeling sick and 
impoverished and gross and guilty? No, because I'm a Christian, so I don't I don't believe that. <laughs> that. Yeah, and that is the answer. But mm. I think that is that is the place where people who are attracted and do embrace Dostoevsky. That is where they. Well, live. that's where I examined myself because I was like, I know I'm a sucker for this kind of thing. The idea that we can't actually answer the Grand Inquisitor, but what is Christ-like is to just say, here's your answer, and it's a kiss. Like, that is the kind of idea that does really move me, actually, in an, in some kind of... Which probably idea? Just the idea that... There's no answer for the Grand Inquisitor. Yes, it all is meaningless and horrible, but the answer... But here is, we take our stand because we can do no other kind of thing. And we give a kiss. There is, there's a way to write that, that is incredibly moving and, yeah, well, I mean, and it's, powerful and poignant. And there, and it is in fact, I mean, how many, it's Marvel, right? Like I was going to say, it, we it, can it, name, it's, we can start to Captain, name. Like Captain America, it doesn't really matter. Thanos is obviously going to win. He's got all the cards. But I'm going to pick up, I'm going to strap on the broken shield. I'm going to grab this hammer. And there's even something to be said about in the face of the world's rationality, in the, the face of you holding the logic cards, I still have faith. I mean, there's even, that's, that's a trickier one. And Dostoevsky doesn't do anything that I think is good or moral or godly with it, but maybe somebody could do something with that. I mean, even, well, part of it is you have to make it less symbolic. Alyosha is doing some kind of symbolic philosophical gesture. Hmm. Tolstoy wouldn't have done that. Tolstoy, you give the give that whole scene to Tolstoy and let him philosophize all he wants to. But at the end of the day, instead of an Alyosha who comes up and kisses uh, what's his face on the cheek, mm -hmm. he's gonna have Levin give a wink at Kitty mm -hmm. as he walks out to die. Like right. you know, whatever it is, it's it's there's gonna be something that you feel that's actually there, that's mm -hmm. under the surface, that's like deeply human about it. Like the, there's there's a way to do that. Dostoevsky doesn't understand it. I think there's actually you can actually go both ways. You can be human and awesome, like Tolstoy would do, or you can do to reference a book. I think we've referenced a couple of times in this discussion. You could do East of Eden, where everybody's an archetype. Everybody's a symbol. Kathy right. is evil personified. And right. you're just like, I'm walking out on you, Kathy. She's the Joker. But that book's dorky precisely because it just it just does it. it yeah, just... it's what it's what um, Marvel actually does aspire to. It's mm. just the archetypes and the things. And and then, you know, uh, what's the word? What? The end of East of Eden, the word. Oh, uh, Timsel. Yeah. Timsel, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's all archetypal and it's all therefore devastating it's like star wars can do that because it deals only in the broadest cardboard archetypes mm -hmm. two-dimensional archetypes possible right and it does it for people yeah I, th I think you can do that but i think that's not what dossier splits the difference and then it's just squalid <laughs> and, and lame and uninspiring well so far we haven't made a brandon you were supposed to like bring made a strong case for him yeah I guess one angle would be actually from just the structure of the book is that, yes, there are these moments where he worships, not worships, but where it's what you guys are talking about. Mm -hmm. But overall, I mean, it's still, it's a story and those are moments in particular characters' lives, but it's not like the overwhelming narrative and point of the book. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? 
So you still have like scenes of Alyosha going and seeing the girl, Lisa Vetta or whatever her name right. is. You also have him going to Father Zosima at the, at the monastery, or you just have sort of comedic scenes like the dinner that they all have together, or the talks with Smeridiakov, well, that don't go so technically count. Or even later on, you have the scenes with Kolia and the children and, mm-hmm. the, and those things like that. So I guess the point would be that you're making it out as though like that's the only thing that Dostoevsky does, mm-hmm. but... He actually does other things as well. Right. Like that's not the only point of Dostoevsky. That's not the only thing he does. Well, I think my answer to that would be, I feel like the grand mass of humanity is on my side because everybody remembers the Grand Inquisitor and nobody remembers anything else from this book. Yeah, fair enough. So maybe in spite of himself, it feels like those, those are the parts that pop. Yeah, and so I think that the response is yes. One of these guys I read made this point. You know, you, you wish at some point that everybody was an educated reader, but not everybody is. And so mm-hmm. some people just go in for those sorts of cheap thrills. Mm-hmm. And like, that's all they ever get out of Dostoevsky. Right. And he admits, I think it might've been Nabokov, that yes, that there are other things to get out of Dostoevsky. But unfortunately, most people don't, right? I'm not sure I agree with that, actually. I'm not sure what much else there is to get out of him. But. Well, my problem with all those scenes, like Aliasha goes to dinner, is they're not written in a way that I can enter into as a human I mean, I don't know yeah. who these characters are. They all seem bound to this, faded by whatever their philosophic point is. You know, Dimitri's always going to be the centralist. Ivan's always going to be the unbeliever. And Alyosha is always going to be this, uh, yeah, he the altruist, whatever, whatever he, you want to say. He definitely does fall into like the Dickens trap where he can't write women, right? Oh, his, his women, women characters. I hate all. his women characters. Grushinka's close to being a sympathetic yeah, character. She's something. But, yeah, I guess. But it's like I, when, when Alyosha is hanging out with the boys, when he's seeing the other side of life, when he's talking to his friends about Zozima, all this stuff, it's like, I can't really enter into that the way I would with Tolstoy or even with a much lesser writer because I don't see a relatable human being. I mean, I think it's worth digging into because the impression we're giving and I think the, imp- but your point is that that's the impression most people leave with, mm-hmm. right? But there were moments in Brothers Karamazov where I was enjoying what I was reading, right? I think you're right. The narrator sometimes is funny. Mm-hmm. There are scenes in the book that don't fit into... So in other words, it's not like he does have one note that he strikes over and over again, but it's not like that's the only note he ever strikes, right? right. He does sometimes strike other notes. And there are moments where it was enjoyable to read. I found, mo- I found moments that were enjoyable to read yeah. too. And so I, I enjoy the scenes with the children. I thought that was good. The Kolia, Ilyushka stuff was not bad. It was, mm-hmm. was, was decent. Yeah, I think so. I guess what I'm trying to push back against and protect him from, if I really believe this, I don't know, is that he's not just a one-trick pony, that there are th- other things up his sleeve, but the dominant tone is what really brings him down. He does strike that one thing over and over again. Well, I would say, A, the gravitational pull of the one note is so strong, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but that it is, it is easy even for a, a good reader to, to just be pulled into that, I think. And B, I don't know that I agree that he's very good at the other stuff. I mean, his style, Russians routinely say his style's bad, right? Like he's not actually supposed to be anything but a passable yeah. writer. So I think that... What you have with Dostoevsky for people who really, really like him is generally, these are not people who have, <laughs> sounds so tacky, Read but a lot? I think it's true. That's actually what I was going to say. Yeah. That's what I've been thinking this I don't for think two podcasts now. I don't think that they've read a whole lot of novels, so they don't have a whole lot to compare him to. He's like, he's the guy that they sunk their teeth into, and now it's like Flannery O'Connor for a lot of people too. Mm-hmm. 
she's the first short story writer they read, and she was so foundational to them that, and it's even not necessarily that they haven't read other things, because I've seen this in people before too. It's that since they read him first, nothing else, they're not willing for anything else to have a chance to compare. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I would say, I mean, there's definitely a class of people that they read about two or, or three of the great novels in high school. Yeah. And one of them was Catcher in the Rye, and the other of them was... The Outsiders or something. Something. And this stood apart. Yeah. Because it connected to them in a way that... Fair enough. ...was real and had some depth, and they've read the novel. Why would they bother with anything else? Exactly. Yeah. And so that's what this is for people. That's just like... In their, you know, two to three, four novel survey of the classics... This was the one that had the most psychological realism to them, and it's probably the best the world has to offer, so why bother with anything yeah. else? No, I, yeah, and so I think that's what happens with people, and so it's almost like, so to defend him a bit, then what you get is, like a lot of people were angry at our C.S. Lewis take, right? Mm-hmm. Often, if people were actually careful listeners, they could go back and see that we weren't necessarily always picking a, a fight with Lewis, but with his followers. Yes. Right. And there is a way that instead of, and not just picking a fight with Dostoevsky, but his followers, right? We actually understand what Dostoevsky was doing. We think, may I personally think that he's worth, you know, reading maybe once. I don't think he's worth being the author you go back to over and over again. But if this is something you need, a flavor you need to have added to your life, an author who has a sense of depravity that is a little bit, well, not a little bit, that is way distorted, but just be warned that that's what you're going to get. But if you have the discernment to wade through it and come out okay on the other end, okay. I mean, that, that's, that's where I just want to say what, what I think we've said about Catcher in the Rye and a couple other books, which is if you're the kind of person who thinks you really need Dostoevsky, then almost certainly you should stay the heck away from Dostoevsky. It's precisely the kind of person who's like, I don't quite know whether I like this, who yeah, might need like that a, flavor. Like a Nikolai Rostov, mm-hmm. right? Who's stuck in his office and he's very practical and you might... Say, hey, you know, try Dostoevsky. It might help you understand some of your drunken serfs out there that might deserve a little bit more sympathy from you. Right. Yeah. But you, you never know. hand, you know, Dmitri, Ivan, or Alyosha. Or Pierre, probably. Or, or Pierre, matter, right? Yeah. Or Dostoevsky. <laughs> or, yeah. I don't know what you do with Levin. Maybe, maybe, maybe he could, see. maybe Levin could read it. I'm not sure Levin would ever have time for it. Yeah. I, I think, well, I mean, Levin would get really excited and underline like the first five chapters and And then quit and then quit. (laughs) This will sound obscure. (laughs) And always kind of feel bad about it. (laughs) Exactly. Well, this will sound obscure for people, but uh, I think that, yeah, we know how Levin would respond because we know Levin, right? Mm -hmm. Haven't we determined this before? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think we have. So, (laughs) (laughs) and he pretty much did that. Yeah. Well, I'm painting a dorkier picture of, I think, younger Levin. The younger Levin. The younger Levin. Levin Nathan. Yep. Yep. 100%. Yep. So, (laughs) but yeah what's a shame is that so if you compare Dostoevsky to Tolstoy or any other writer even Shakespeare Mm -hmm. I mean this isn't what I'm about to say is so dumb but just bear with me writers mature as they get older Mm -hmm. their works change and they adapt to as they change this is Dostoevsky's swan song this is the last book he wrote to kind of summarize his life War and Peace is the book that Tolstoy wrote to summarize his life as a writer there's a Dostoevsky's summary. And if you look at them, you can see what a shame it is that what probably could have become a decent writing talent was just, man, it sounds so pre- 
so condescending. <laughs> but it really was twisted by whatever his his sad life, and it was hard. And from my understanding, a lot of his like the, the House of the Dead is quite a bit apparently like a day in the life of Ivan Den- Denisovich. It really is moving. His mm-hmm. view of the poor is worth sympathizing with there's probably a reason that tolstoy read it and said this is the most important work of russian literature since pushkin right and i'm just not sure that like flannery o'connor that the note that dostoevsky decided to grab onto was really a note that he needed or we needed anybody needed Mm -hmm. to be sounded again and again and again i mean there's where i feel like the biggest snob of all of us though because i'm just like okay you can hit that note just do it artfully please yeah or and I'm glad that you play some, I'm glad Brandon's making a good point. You do play some other melodies. Eh, other people do it better. I, I, I can get those somewhere else. And it doesn't, it, you know, it is kind of unfair. This guy, like for three podcasts now, Tolstoy did it better. Well, Tolstoy <laughs> did it better than every, yeah. they just happen to both be Russian. So you have to. And I, You know what? I don't <laughs> apologize for that argument anymore because you know, I think it was William Blake who did, you know, by the time he got to be a certain age, he's like, all he read anymore was the Bible and Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've asked him why. He's like, well, what else is worth reading? And if there was a one great sane man of letters, yes. it was William Blake. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. I was wondering if you were going to point that out. Um, <laughs> that's the kind of thing I would try to say and hope that I got away with. Well, I'll, I'll say this. In reading this book, and the deeper we get into the bookening, I am always glad when we come across a book that I'm like, oh, wow. Like last year, one of those books was To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow, this book, it's different, it's unique, and it's truly great, and it holds up. And if I have to read eight books that are, okay, well, that was a book, to get that, I guess that's the price that I have to pay. But the deeper we get into this show, and the more I come, uh, I hit up against Dostoevsky, the more I'm like, if Nathan came to me and said, you know what, forget Dostoevsky. We are now the Tolstoy Austin podcast, and all we do is reread Tolstoy and Austin. Just like we read War and Peace, then we read an Austin novel, then we read Anna Karenina, then we read an Austin novel, then we read War and Peace, then we read an Austin novel. Uh, That would be like, I would jump out of, I would jump for joy. Why would I, like, I could just see myself saying yes. Why would I bother anymore with all this other crap? Mm Mm-hmm. When there's Tolstoy and Austin there for me. And, and we're going to throw in a couple Shakespeare plays. Of course. From, here, from time to time. And like, all right. Like if Nathan came to me tomorrow and said, that's the, the new bookening moving forward. I would breathe a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. I think I would too. But, but that's not the show. I'm not advocating that right. that's what the show would be. I'm just saying like, I sympathize with, with William Blake saying... Just yeah. give me the Bible and Shakespeare. I'm tired of all the crap. Why, when you f- show me something good that's actually worth reading on the level that the Bible and Shakespeare are worth reading, and okay. But until then, I'm I'm just kind of done. Well, you also you reach an age where you're like, rightly or wrongly, I've locked into what I like and who I am. Yeah. So, well, I don't like this. Yeah. Why would I take the next well, thousand pages to tell myself what I already know? And you've got so much more life to live. Like, I've got seven kids. I'm planning a church. In planning a church, there's so much other stuff to read, study. You just, you have so much bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And giving it to to Dostoevsky as Dostoevsky requires just feels like a 
It feels like an irresponsible waste of life. Yes, it does. I mean... Especially when you can pop open, literally, at random, any page of Tolstoy and breathe in the aroma of life. I mean, I don't mean to be a blasphemous there, but there's a banquet, there's a feast. Yeah. And you could just break off like a grape from Tolstoy well, and eat it. And feel enriched and feel like it's enriching everything else. And then you can it's read enriching your pages family of- life. It's enriching your church life. It's enriching your, the way that you're approaching a counseling situation or a sermon. I can I can get that from Tolstoy in a way that Dostoevsky's it's like he it's like the difference between <laughs> it's the difference between Dr. Frankenstein and Dracula. Dr. Frankenstein's giving life to the dead and Dracula's taking life Dracula. from you. It all comes back Dost- to <laughs> Frankenstein and Dracula. Frankenstein. This year we're reading Invisible Man, so Yeah. No. So um I actually abandoned this on our Slack, but actually this is kind of what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned the the boy, uh, Tiny Tim. Yeah. So I jokingly said, "Who did it better, Tiny Tim or Ilyushka?" Mm-hmm. I was joking there because you can really kind of see the sentimentality coming out with Dostoevsky there, with the way he treats Ilyusha. You can tell Dickens was an influence on him. Yeah. There, with having this the last scene be the death of a tuberculous ridden little boy, mm-hmm. right, and that be the. The last, his funeral is where everybody has their epiphany at the end and Colia cheers for Alyosha and mm-hmm. Alyosha is seen as the hero and what makes him heroic? Well, it's his love and understanding for everyone, right? And that's what it means to be a Christian is to have love and understanding for everyone, to kiss everyone on the lips. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Please don't get us canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've wondered. I I keep doing that. I just walk around everywhere kissing everybody and everybody's just looking at me and I'm like, come here, kiss me. And then they try to, it's, it's weird. Yeah, they, <laughs> they don't, don't want like it. it. You, just, you just say one word. You say, Dostoevsky. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so that was a joke because, I mean, I still think that in the context of why does it not work with Dostoevsky when he tries to be sentimental or maudlin when it works with Dickens is because... Dickens gives you a mildly cartoonish view of the world that mm-hmm. still is entertaining and has a lot of highs and lows and is still a wonderful story and it's wonderful to be a part of. Right. But Dickens is never, I loved, I love Dickens. I like Dickens, you know, but Dickens doesn't ever give you the depth of beauty that you get from an Austin or a Tolstoy, right? Right. He just never gets there. And I think that's because what Dickens never wanted to get there. Dickens was a storyteller. He's more like if Dickens was alive today, he'd be working for Marvel mm-hmm. and Disney, right? He'd yeah. be doing Disney movies. So, yes. But where you really see a, a big comparison is like Colia, the child who has the insight and the love for Alyosha, right? He mm-hmm. chooses Alyosha as his model. And we're supposed to then admire Alyosha more because Colia admires him. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about how it rings just a little bit hollow, Like Dostoevsky doesn't quite pull it off, Mm -hmm. right? Because his characters are so flat. His characters are so hollow. His characters are not as rich as they should be, right? You spend a whole novel with Alyosha and you don't see anything happen to Alyosha. Right. I mean, seriously, how does Alyosha change? How does He just wanders through situations completely passively. You know, you get his response to Father Zosima's death, but it's really not that interesting or deep. Mm -hmm. It's about as interesting or deep as like... You know, the tension between Captain America and Iron Man, right? Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of hollowness to it. There's a little bit of just like, this is getting, this is moving the plot along and this is what you would expect these characters to do, but nothing beyond that, right? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And then I, it just made me, and this is going to go back again to Tolstoy, but it just made me so sad that, you know, here 
th- this is there and then the potential of a great writer to take something like that. And what do you end with? Well, you end with Nikolai, Prince Andre's son, mm-hmm. in his thinking about Pierre. And Wildly admiring Pierre. Pierre yeah. yeah. And there's just the, hu- the, the world of difference there between those two representations. Mm-hmm. And I think it gets at the heart of the difference in what they viewed as being important in their art. Even though Tolstoy had a, a crazy view of life and his philosophy and his history, all that was wild and, and bizarre. As an artist, he was so committed to real sympathy and real understanding of what's beautiful about life and what makes humanity and people complicated and, and beautiful, as cheesy as that sounds, mm-hmm. that it puts him worlds above what Dostoevsky could ever do with his one-dimensional view of life so that it rings, it deflates you at the end of that novel. You're like, you want to be there cheering with the boys, mm-hmm. but it leaves you a little bit like, it leaves you just a little bit like, okay, that's over. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. I like Brothers Karamazov. I still like the novel. I just don't think that, I mean, we never did baggage. My baggage is that I read Brothers Karamazov right at that time in my life when I was, when I also discovered Tolstoy. Mm-hmm. So that's my history with it. It never lived up to it. It never has, and it still doesn't. Yeah. So. And I don't think it's because I've got that sort of rosy goggled view of Tolstoy that I accuse people of having for Dostoevsky. I mean, to me, that's like if you just ate your first porterhouse, then someone was like, there's also Salisbury steak. <laughs> hey, get this. <laughs> you just had a real barbecue. How about, you know, the McRib? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of with you, Brandon. I'm, I'll, I'll go this far with you and no further. Absolutely no further. Okay. The first half of the novel, I was like, ah, eh, this could be maybe good. Like, this this might be the first good Dostoevsky. And it was principally the character of Dimitri because he felt more alive and more like maybe he could go somewhere in a human direction, actually. Alyosha felt like a type and Ivan definitely felt like a type. But his, The chapters of the Confessions of a Lonely Heart or whatever it is, mm-hmm. his three chapters where he talks about his uh, love affair with Katarina and all that, that really is moving. Yeah. It's good. His character was good, but then his character suddenly, as I said before, just feels like he's being forced into the Dostoevsky mold by the well, third he act. Fades out of, he fades because... And it's interesting, if you wanted to do a Harold Bloom spin on this, Dimitri fades because Dostoevsky never can think of himself as being the most interesting thing in the room, even though that's all he can obsess about is himself. Mm-hmm. And so someone who's not like him, but still is because every character is like him, Ivan, you know, that's the character he decides to focus on more. Yeah. And it just ends weird. Like, it ends with Ivan seeing the devil and <laughs> and going mad in court. <laughs> oh, man, that court stuff goes on and on. Yeah, and it's like, take a lesson from Harper Lee and cut it down to the stuff that actually is going to make us care a bit more about the characters. Nobody... Send somebody out to the lawn Yeah, while things are happening and have a conversation about... Yeah, have Kolya come and see it through his perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that is a problem with Dostoevsky. He does not know which perspective we should care about. And makes the novel more interesting. He's just not a master of storytelling. I, I, I'm convinced of that. I think that people who, cri- like Nabokov's criticism of him saying that he's a, a dramatist at heart who decided, unfortunately, to be a novelist. I think that's right. I think that he doesn't know how to use the tools of a novel writer to write an interesting and engaging novel. Mm-hmm. He can come up with characters who would be fun to watch, 
right? I mean, I can imagine that somebody could make a pretty fun Brothers Karamazov movie. Yeah. And it would be engaging. Like, you know, you get, uh, who's the guy who played Dumbledore? Oh, uh, Michael Gambone. Yeah, get Michael Gambone to play Father Karamazov. That'd be good. Right? And then, you know, you could have some really interesting stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, my take at the end of the day would be it ain't tasty and it ain't nutritious. So, or maybe it's a little bit nutritious, but if if Tolstoy can give me in one paragraph what it takes me 300 pages to extract at great pain from, yep. from Dostoevsky, then... Which is why... Why bother? And we've said this again in our Slack channel, and Bor has said it apparently before us, that I, I think that if you like... You know, it's the same thing that people say about being a socialist, or, you know, if you... If you like Dostoevsky, if you're a socialist when you're an adolescent, it's understandable and it's sympathetic. Mm -hmm. If you like Dostoevsky and if you're a socialist when you're a grown man, it's kind of pathetic. Right. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I say that acknowledging before everybody gets mad again that I like Dostoevsky just fine. I don't hate him as much, even though. So it's interesting because the other thing I'm thinking about is Jake is having the sort of visceral reaction against Dostoevsky that I have against like some sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I think it probably speaks better of Jake than he has against Dostoevsky. <laughs> Jake's a moral <laughs> man. Yeah. Brandon's just like, I'm just, I'm just spaceships. Just, yeah, I'm an aesthetic snob over here. And <laughs> it, it, is, it is absolutely true because I, you know, I'm, I'm have been friends with some of the people that Jake's referring to this book or these books Dostoevsky has destroyed people's lives maybe if you want or to argue against that you could, could say the kind of person whose life is going to get destroyed the kind of person who wants to destroy themselves latches on to dostoevsky okay fine either way either way doesn't speak that highly they of, feed off they find a way to feed off each other it's yeah it's not it's not healthy it's mm-hmm. not healthy if 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 only sick people are attracted to what you've got going on also it doesn't make them better then maybe it's just misery loves company and water finds its level and yep. sick the same kinds of sickness. Yeah. yeah. If you have a lep- leprosy and you want to hang out in the leper colony, I guess that's your business, but yeah. It, I also want to make space too for the, you know, Brandon, Brandon's whole thing. You know, if you an adolescent, you like Dostoevsky, it's sympathetic. If you're an adult, you like, Dostoevsky, a grown man, and you like Dostoevsky, then that's that's a problem. It's what was the word? Pathetic. If you're a grown man who liked Dostoevsky as an adolescent and hasn't thought much about literature since then, and so you still say you like Dostoevsky, yeah, yeah whatever. But uh, I just don't think that you. I think I. This, I suppose this is going to sound condescending, but I really think this is the kind of novel that is liked by people that don't actually like novels. Psychologist, yeah. you know, Jordan Peterson has cute little videos about Brothers Karamazov. That's the kind of person that likes this book, ultimately. Somebody who is intrigued by all these sick ideas or somebody, and it might even be a healthy person who's for whatever reason intrigued by these these sick ideas. But There's yeah. someone who likes to think about the sort of things the Grand Inquisitor is talking about. They like to think about so you can you can imagine the sort of person who could be healthy enough and like this book would be that sort of person. That's well, I would say number one, it's hard to imagine that person. There aren't that that's many. That's why of them I said enough. There. Yeah, I, I know. qualified. I know. That. <laughs> I just wanted to quali- take your qualification and kick it <laughs> some you, more man. down. Number two, I don't understand why you wouldn't just read philosophy 
or theology would be even better. But if you really want to get into existentialism, like just, just read Kierkegaard, like yeah. get, get the uncut stuff. Like, yeah. Kierkegaard is really the, if you wanted to argue that Dostoevsky is just trying to drive people to the end of their rope so that they'll seek God, Kierkegaard does that better. Mm-hmm. And that was his, in many places and cases, his explicit spoken name. And and if you're just a sicko who likes theatrical evil like me, I think Nietzsche and uh, Schopenhauer are much more entertaining than this, oh, yeah. this and, dork. And Nietzsche's a much better writer. Yeah, Nietzsche's having fun with it at least. Yeah. He's colorful. He's... Interesting, engaging. Interesting, engaging. If you want, well, I'm not recommending. No, that you no, read no, Nietzsche, not at all. Though. But I mean, if, if if you want a little taste, in of that it, though. in that sense, Nietzsche is is in in some ways more dangerous because I don't think Dostoevsky's persuading anybody. I don't think he has this persuasive power of Nietzsche. I'll say that. How's you that? already have to be beaten down to be persuaded by Dostoevsky. He can Nietzsche take you can farther. He can. He can. He can. Yeah, beat you. He can get you living in a you know further trapped in the muck. But there's a seductive quality to Nietzsche that uh, Dostoevsky doesn't have. Agreed. Well, any more random observations about anything in this novel that anyone wants to make? Uh... Women suck. We mentioned it. I I I have very little patience for men who don't even try to write women. Besides, I mean, I, and I'm no feminist, but when the women are just there as objects of desire for all the men characters to sort of bounce off of and define themselves by, there's an element of truth in that, but also it's just kind of boring. Like figure out something to do with your women characters. Figure out something. Ilusha's dad's a weirdo. <laughs> I mean, Karamazov? No, Make Ilyusha. him hold guns Ilyusha. and call people wa- oh, yeah, walking yeah. carpets. What? Hold guns, call people walking carpets. That's what Princess Leia does. You're going to have a wooden t- type that's there to be an object of everybody's sexual desire for two and a half movies. Well, you could at least do Abra in East of Eden. She's not really there for anything besides to be the woman with a capital W, but Steinbeck brings her to life enough that... Or brings, uh, uh, what's his face to life in, in opposition to her? Cal. Not Cal. Uh, Lee. Lee. Yeah, that seems fantastic. I don't, I mean, obviously men do define themselves by women and look, we're not here to litigate women, but. No, I am. I like women. <laughs> I just Brady's get. being up on charges. Yeah. I just think there's a kind of melodramatic conceit to all these books written in the Victorian era. To, their, to women, you know, right? That's what was boring about the women in Dracula. It's what's boring about a lot of yeah. women. That, Sounds like women. Yeah. Melodramatic and boring. <laughs> melodramatic and boring. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right, well, let's uh, um, call out our... Now, the one thing that I'm expecting that you guys won't do is say Frankenstein or Dracula. Is that what you're expecting? Well, that, in fact, that's my request is just say something that's not like, uh, Jake, if you could not say Frankenstein and Brandon, if you could not say Dracula. I think we can manage that. That would be great. So let me just pull up my book. Uh, obviously, folks, go to patreon.com forward slash the booking to... Become a patron and get your name called out if you give the right amount. So, Robert and Rhonda, the Lovebirds. Dracula. The Artful Anthony Dodger. Little Anthony's Cigar Store. Dracula. Frankenstein. The Immortal Chelsea. 
That feels good. Frankenstein. Dracula. Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley. Dracula. Frankenstein. Lily of the Valley. Dracula. Internets with the lovebirds. The Keith Master, David's Mighty Men, Trucking Down, Dylan, Little Baby Max, Jane, Katie, Your Gold, Love, Cheese, and Also, C.S. Lewis, Dracula, Sweet Jamie Sunshine, proudly keeper of eternal darkness, and Lord the keeper of eternal lights, Cold Steel Cody, Jacqueline Library and Barbarian, John Bobadilla, Bomb Ziggity, Captain Steel, his mates, Saxophone Alex, the other Saxophone Alex, Dubstep Danny, Ryan the Terror of Texas, Eric of the Cream and Crimson, who are stuck in the cold, please send cheese, even Ben Solo, and Kyla, John the Cosmic King of Chaos, Matthew the Mind Flavor? Flare? Flare. Annie, are you okay? Jagula, Jagula, Get you Jagula, Jagula, Jagula. Jagula. Goodbye, I folks. I don't remember Maya being in there. She was. Maya! Maya! Do you know what I noticed? Dracula is e- easier to say. It is. Than Frankenstein. It is. Frankenstein. Dracula. <laughs>